right now as they continue to keep playing. The Spirit of God is in this house. I said the Spirit of God is in this house. So you know what that tells me? He's here today to move on your behalf. The song says that he's still doing miracles. Not in my name, not in the name of Buddha, not in the name of anyone else, but in the name of Jesus. Right now, the devil has been tormenting some of you. He's fought you all week long. It's time to take authority over the devil in the name that's above every name, that name of Jesus Christ. You need healing right now. It's yours in the name of Jesus. You need deliverance right now in the name of Jesus. Sickness has got to go in the name of Jesus. Strongholds has got to go in the name of Jesus. He said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh Lord we say pour it out today you can have what you need you can have what you need only thing that's standing in between you and your victory your healing is unbelief reach out by faith and claim it in the name that's above other name as they sing it one more time the song that they were singing before this one says I need you more more today than yesterday Life gets hard, we have ups and we have downs, but he said that he would always be there for us, that he would never lead us, leave us, nor forsake us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to take the next breath, and we can't take it without him, because the word tells us that apart from him, we can't do anything. We can do nothing. I need him more today than yesterday, and I'm going to need him more tomorrow because as we near the end of this life, and let me tell you today that he is soon to return. You may have said, well, I've heard that all my life, but let me tell you, it's just as true today as when you heard it 20 and 30 and 40 years ago. But the difference between today and then is that we are so much closer to it now than ever before. The Bible says when you see all that is going on, look up to know that your redemption is drawing out. Let me tell you some church, I'm excited because I know that I'm getting ready to leave this old world. And there's nothing here for me that would even make me want to stay. Because I long to be with him, amen. We need him more. But let me tell you, he will always supply the grace that you need to make it through. All we have to do is cry out to him, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your son Jesus. We thank you for the blood that was shed on Calvary 2,000 years ago, Lord. None of us, Lord, none of us would be here today if it was not for that selfless act of love. Lord, we're here today, God, to worship you, Lord, and we thank you that your presence is here, Lord. God, we passion because they truly wanted him to be there but they invited him only for reasons to trap him to catch him doing something wrong because of his claims and who he said he was they were always trying to catch him they were always trying to trap him so that they could disprove that he was who he said that he was so Jesus comes in and again took advantage of this to make known to them the gospel. And when he enters in, he sees a man who perhaps really didn't belong there. See, this house here was full of the Pharisees, the elect of the elect. All of them looked the same. But yet he finds a man here who wasn't necessarily invited 
because they wanted him to be there, but used him as a pawn to try and catch Jesus doing something wrong. And this man had the condition of dropsy, in which there was an affection in his body. His body was swollen, undoubtedly, and wreaking havoc upon his body. The sickness was, and he was hurting. And so Jesus sees him, and instantly Jesus, because he is the son of the living God, knew exactly why this man was here. They never said to him, look at our guest. They never said anything. They just simply invited. Jesus walks in, sees this man here, and sees them, and instantly he knows what they were up to. They were trying to catch him. They were trying to trap him. And they, because these Pharisees viewed healing as an act of work, so they thought if he healed him, he would be breaking the law, and if he didn't heal this man, that he wouldn't be showing the love that he said that he had for them. So they thought, we're going to catch him. Either he's going to break the law and heal it on the Sabbath, or he's not going to show the love that he says that he truly has for all men and not heal him. But see, Jesus, recognizing their attentions, asks them the question. and says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And don't you know that dead silence hit the room? As soon as he asked this question, they were there on the edge of their seat. There they were parched like vipers, ready to attack, ready to accuse. And all of a sudden, he proposes this question to them. It says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And all of a sudden, dead silence hits the room. And there they just stare at him. They just look at him. Because they were too dumb to try and trap Jesus, but yet they were smart enough not to answer. Because he turned the table right around them all. In fact, he looked at them and said, How many of you that have goat, oxen, that would fall into the ditch would not come by and pick it up? You would pick up on your own ox. And he wasn't condemning them and saying it was wrong, but you would do this for an animal. How much more should be done for a man that is sick, that has a soul? So he turned it around upon them. Then Jesus lets them know after he said all of that that the ones that you're trying to get to the front by self-promotion need to take a back seat and let the host of the banquet call you up front. See, now when after this, he said this, they began to scurry around. They began to take their seat. They wanted to get to the front because they were trying to promote self, because they were trying to be seen. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 11 that whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, and the one who humbles himself shall be exalted. Because again, these Pharisees were about being seen and wanted the attention and spotlight brought upon themselves. That's what they were all about. They wanted man to look at man. Look at on me. See me. And so they were scurrying around trying to get to the front, hoping that they would advance. And Jesus says, hey, you want to really be right, be humble brings about to them the act and the doctrine of humility. Then he turns around and he looks at the one that was invited, that, that, that all of those that were invited, and again he sees that they were all made up of the same, and he says that I see you've got a dinner for your friends, I see you've got a dinner for your colleagues, I see you've got a dinner for your rich neighbors, but where's the poor people? Where's the main people? Where's the halt people? Where's the ones that can't do nothing? that can't do nothing in return for you. Because see, that's the Christ-like spirit. Doing something for someone who in return cannot do anything for you. Did God not send his son for us 
And in return, we could do nothing to merit that. That is a Christ-like spirit. And they didn't have this Christ-like spirit. They were all, they were inviting the ones that could do something for them. They wanted nothing to do with the poor. They wanted nothing to do with the blind. They wanted nothing to do with them because they were looked at as outcasts. As ones that could be of no help, if you will, to the society. They were done away with. They, were, they looked at them as if they were dirt on the bottom of their shoes. So they didn't have other Christ-like spirit. So don't you know, by the time he calls it out about them being hypocrites, and he calls it out upon them and says, none of y'all were even humble, then he calls it out upon them that the fact that you're only doing this for these people, by this time, this party, this feast, had turned way upside down. It didn't turn out to be the supper. It didn't turn out to be the banquet. It didn't turn out to be the feast that they had anticipated. He gets done speaking, and you can just imagine what the tension was like inside that room. Jesus had just got done calling out their hypocrisy, had just got done calling out all of these things, and pretty much makes them feel like they were the scum of the earth, which they were, which each and every single one of us are upon our own. So there, the, the tension, again, was so thick. As you would hear that you could cut it with a knife. So they were looking at Jesus and, and they wouldn't even speak a word. They had nothing to say. They had no defense. So then a man at this feast in verse 15 breaks the silence and all of a sudden starts to say, Blessed is everyone who eats bread of the kingdom of God. And he didn't have the slightest idea of what Jesus was really referencing when he was talking about the kingdom of God because he thought that all Jews would eat the bread of the kingdom based simply off of their heritage and off of their nationalism. Let me tell you, this is self-righteousness. There is many that thinks that they will eat of the bread of the kingdom of God simply because of a denomination that they are affiliated with. There's many that will think that they will eat of the bread and be a partakers of the kingdom of God because of who their mama was or who their daddy is or because of what grandma said or because of what grandpa said. There's many right now upon the world, millions and millions, whose name is on a membership role of a church and feel that that right there will guarantee them to eat of the bread of the kingdom of God. And they've got it all wrong just like this Pharisee had it all wrong. He thought because I, I am a Jew, because I am part of Israel, I'm going to get it. And Jesus comes along and says, you really want to know about the kingdom of God? Let's talk about the kingdom of God. You want to bring it up about eating bread of the kingdom of God? Good. I'm glad you say it. Because there's many that are depending upon these things of which I listed that are for interest into the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, John 14, 6 still says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if we don't back down from that statement whatsoever, it's not popular preaching nowadays in these times that we're living in. They don't like to be told that Jesus is the only way that you're going to get into heaven. They don't like to be told that it's only through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ can one be cleansed, can one be washed. And I wonder if it's because they don't view themselves as being really dirty and filthy. They see their own righteousness and they think it's good, but it's, as he would say, filthy. Rags. 
It doesn't matter if you go to church three times a week. It doesn't matter if you open your Bible up every day. It doesn't matter what you do. Those things are works righteousness, and it does not matter. It will not merit one into the kingdom of God. It is only through the denial of self and also the realization that I am no good and that I need a Savior. So Jesus says, okay, you want to talk about the kingdom of God? Let's talk about the kingdom of God. So Jesus goes into speaking a parable to them about the kingdom, and he portrays this kingdom of God. He portrays it as a great supper. And at this time, and when it, at this time that was going on, in this day and time in which they were living, when a king would have a banquet, when a king would have a feast, he would send the servant out, he would send his servants out to go and to invite everyone to come to this feast. So the servants would go out and they would say, hey, the king is preparing a feast. The king is preparing a supper. Do you want to come to it? Now, I understand it wasn't prepared yet. Understand the food, if you will, wasn't ready. But yet it was just the initial invitation that was extended out. Pretty much like you see nowadays when there is a wedding date, they will send out an invitation months prior to to save the date. And you check the box and say, yes, I'm going to come. The wedding has not yet happened, but yet you check the box with all intentions of going to this wedding. So the, the, the king would send out the service. The service would go out into the streets. They would invite, and everybody said, yes, I'm going to come. Let me know when it's ready, and I will be there. So there was no time given because, again, they wouldn't know when the food would be done and the preparations would be finished. But they knew that it was going to take place. Is that not sort of like the rapture of the church? We don't know the time. We know it's going to take place, but we don't know the time of it. But we all say that we want to go, that we're all going to be ready. But I will remind you of the parable that he gave of the ten virgins, that when the finally it took place, there were five ready and there were five not ready. Could that be, and is that not indicative of what it's going to be when Jesus Christ comes back? No oil in the lamp, not ready because they thought they could rely upon yesterday's oil. They thought they could rely upon an experience that had taken place five years back, and they're going to be caught not ready. So this feast would take place in two parts. Again, they would go out, and everyone wanted to be invited. Everyone wanted to be a part of this feast, to be able to come in into the king's castles, if you will, and to be a part of what he was preparing for them. It's just like the kingdom of God. Everybody wants God's grace. Everybody wants the benefits of Calvary. Are we here today? Everybody wants this. Nobody wants to reject the goodness of God. Everybody wants to hear that. You can go out into the streets. You can talk to your family members. Everybody talks about the Lord. Everybody nowadays is a Christian. They want his grace. They want his benefits. They want his help. They want his aid. They want all of this stuff. But they don't want him. So you can imagine how frustrating it is that when you tell people about this being prepared and they tell you that they're going to come, you go and you prepare. It's just like if you're hosting a meal, if you're hosting a wedding, like our reception was, we sent out the invitations and we asked that people would send them back letting us know if they were going to the wedding only or if they were coming to the reception. Now, the reason why we wanted to know is so that we would have enough food prepared. 
Amen? So that there was enough there because we didn't want nobody to be hungry. We wanted everybody to have a plentiful amount to be able to eat. So how would it have been if we had about 160 people there and we had all enough food to be able to feed them, but what would have happened if only 70 of the 160 that said they were coming actually came? There would have been all this food left over, and it would have been frustrating. And don't you know that it's frustrating that God has sent his only begotten son. He's prepared a table, if you will. He has made a supper, and it is not just for a few. It's not just for the white man. It's not just for the black man. It's not for the rich. It's not just for the poor. But it's for each and every single one. An abundant supply there. So the feast that the Lord has prepared... What he has prepared is likened to a wedding feast. It is likened to a supper. And it is made reference, we see, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6 through 9. The Bible says, Isaiah was saying this, or rather the Holy Spirit through Isaiah was saying, And in this mountain shall the Lord of wines on the lees well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off their faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off of all the earth. For the Lord has spoken it. And verse 9, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Now, if that passage of Scripture don't get you excited, I think we need to reread it and we need to check ourselves because here we see that Isaiah loved to dwell on this great truth that a feast was going to take place. Isaiah would make reference to the kingdom age, would make reference to the millennial reign, and in fact, a great feast that brings great tidings and joy. You think about it, he's talking about a feast and brings up a day and what that day will be when there are no going to be any more tears that are shed. There's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more heartache. There's not going to be any more loneliness. There's not going to be any more bad news. We turn on the TV and is that all we hear today? Bad news on every single hand. None of that's going to be on this day that the feast takes place because it is going to be a day that the Lord has prepared for his children. What a day that that's going to be, amen? I mean, you, there should be such excitement that fills the heart of each and every single born-again believer of knowing that that day is soon to approach. But the greatest of all is when he says that he will swallow up death in victory. That's the greatest thing, that he will swallow up death in victory. You see, he's not speaking of a spiritual death because that was swallowed up on the cross when Jesus Christ died. But Jesus Christ, we know, is going to split the eastern sky. And the Bible says that soon and very soon it's going to take place. And the dead in Christ are going to rise up first. And then we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so ever we shall be. 
That is the hope of the child of God in knowing that we're not going to be here forever, that I'm just passing through. We're just pilgrims passing through on a weary land. But one day soon, we've got the king of kings that's going to step out there. Oh, Gabriel's going to blow his trumpet, and there he's going to call us up. Can you imagine at the graves all around this world and the TV want to talk about something? Jesus Christ is going to give them something to talk about when the graves bust open inside out. I've got a grandma. I've got two grandmas. I've got two grandpas. You've got family that were saved when they left here. And Jesus Christ is going to come back. They're coming up out of that ground. And then you and I that are alive and are remaining are going to meet them in the air. They want something to talk about. Jesus is going to give them something to talk about. How are they going to explain it? All of these people going up all around. Let me tell you, I can't wait for that day. There's nothing here in this life that would make me want to stay. It doesn't matter how big your house is. It doesn't matter how many zeros follows the number in the bank account. I'm ready to go and be with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? You see, the sting of death is sin. But when Jesus Christ hung on that cross and poured out his blood, he atoned for all sin. And he took that sting away, which means death. Because death bears an awful sting. But again, when Jesus Christ came up out of that grave, my God, on the third day, Old Satan didn't think that it was going to happen. He thought it was done. But on that third day, Jesus Christ came up out of that tomb and he took back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Amen. Death had been conquered because of what Christ did at the cross. And he said, death, you are defeated. Because of what he's done and because that I as a believer, have died with him, have been baptized unto his death, I too have the hope and the assurance of coming up as well one day, amen, because I am now alive in Christ Jesus. So people ask, and they say, well, how do you know for sure that this is going to happen? How are you so certain that what you're speaking of, of one day is going to take place? Go back to verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 25. Because the Lord has spoken it. For the Lord has spoken it. Let me tell you something. You can't put stock into what man tells you. Because all man can give you is empty promises. But when the Lord speaks it, you can take it to the bank that it is going to happen. When he died on Calvary's cross and he cried it is finished. He meant what he said. It is finished. And when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to, don't be worried. I'm coming back for you. Take it to the bank, church. He's coming back for you. For us. You see this feast. This banquet. Is prepared out of desire. When you have people over at your house. You prepare it. And you invite them over out of desire. Because you want them to be there. And it is furnished at the cost. Of the one who was preparing it. You don't ask your guests. To come in and to prepare the table. To set the table. To bring all of the food. You don't ask them to do that. You ask them to just simply come. Because you put the cost. Upon yourself. All you want them to do. Is walk through the door. Is just walk through the door. And, when, and have you not heard it before? When you come, just come hungry. Just walk through the door. 
come like you are. You ain't got to bring a thing. Just come, walk through the door, sit down at my table, and come hungry and feed and eat on what I've got for you. My God, you see, the gospel comes free at no cost to the guest. And why did he prepare it? Because man has an appetite. Man has an appetite that must be fed, that must be nourished, or else it will starve to death. You have an appetite today. I have an appetite today. Every man, every woman, every child has an appetite today, and it must be fed, and it must be nourished. But the problem is, is that the lost doesn't feed on the things of God. They don't feed on what he has prepared for them. They feed on the vices of this world. And it leaves them, spiritually speaking, malnourished, empty, void in their heart. Searching for everything that they can to feed this. When all in the while, Jesus is right there saying, I have prepared a table for you. And if you'll come to this table, if you'll come to this feast that I have for you, you're not going to walk away hungry. But you're going to be satisfied in me. In fact, you're going to love it so much, you're going to want to keep coming back for seconds and for thirds and for fourths. When a meal is good to treat at your home and it's so good, you say, I want a little bit more of that where that come from. Let me tell you, you'll never get so full of Jesus. You can't get so full like you can on regular food, but you'll come back for more and more. And let me tell you, he's got an endless supply, a plentiful supply. So at this time when the king would get everything ready, then the food was ready, the banquet was prepared, the Bible says that he would send his servant out. To now tell the people, it's ready. To now tell the people, come on, I've got it ready for you. All of these ones that had initially accepted the invitation to come to this banquet, to come to this feast, to come to this supper. And they would knock on their doors. Knocking, it's time, come, eat, it's prepared, it's ready. So the very ones that originally said, I'm going to come, I'm going to be a part of this celebration we see in verse 18 through 20, now started rejecting. They first would say at this time that I will come, but when it was ready, when it was prepared, when it was sent out, all of a sudden excuses started falling like crazy, started coming forth as to why they could not attend this feast. As to why they could not attend uh, this banquet. See, this is indicative of salvation. Prophecy had been given time and time again all throughout the Old Testament. Israel should have known. They had no excuse whatsoever. That this man named Jesus was in fact the Messiah. They had no excuse. It was there. They was, he said, I'm preparing for you. Jesus had come. It was now time for them to receive. For them to be the one to preach the gospel. And had they to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and accepted him. Immediately we would have went into the kingdom of age. But they, they declined this invitation. They didn't believe. They didn't have time for him. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman and made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of Son. Do you understand that this word redeem means to buy back? 
If you look it up in the Greek, it means to buy back. You were on, you are on as an individual. If you're lost and undone, or if you are saved, you were on that auction block of sin. Satan had the highest bid, but Jesus stepped forth and said, I'm going to buy them back. And the payment, the price that was demanded was nothing that man could ever produce, but was paid by the precious blood of Jesus Christ to rebuy back, to redeem us, to take us from that fallen nature and plant his divine nature inside of us. So the fullness of time had come. Jesus at the right moment had come into this world ready to buy back what had been lost in the garden. So this time again had, had came and, and the invitation has been extended. But the door, can you imagine in this time like that when you knock on a door? You expect that person to answer on the other side. And there the servant would go out and would knock on the door. Hey, you in there, you told me you were going to come. You told me that you would accept this invitation. And there the servants would knock upon the door, but the door would not open. People on the other side of that door that had said that they wanted, that they wanted to come to this feast, it was now time. The knock had went forth, and yet they stood on the other side, spiritually speaking, and would not answer that door. Can I tell you that in this parable, the servant is Jesus the servant is Jesus knocking on the door of man's heart saying it's time. The supper is prepared. It's ready for you. But sad to say that that knock that goes forth, that door, it gets unanswered. The door is not opened up because they don't want to come. They, they don't want to deny themselves. They don't want to give up what it is that they're doing. Because Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, you've got to lay down your life. Let it all go and follow me. You've got to trust me. You've got to hate mama, hate daddy, hate brother. And it's not word hate meaning how we see it today. But you've got to let it all go and just follow me. You've got to throw your whole self down at me. So the introduction of the kingdom of God again was now being produced. Now I want to deal with something because not only we read this message, we read this passage of scripture, we think that it's only for the lost person and it is indicative of the lost. But here we also see that this was for Israel. These were God's people, the church if you will. The church of that day that were denying the invitation that had been extended out. And so none of these people had made a profession of faith. And a profession of faith is nothing more but a declaration that I believe. And there are those that had originally accepted it. They had sent out and they had been asked to pull up to the table of grace and to feast. And let me tell you that this invitation is not just a one-time invitation. This invitation to pull up to the table of grace is to be done day in and day out. Day in and day out, we're to pull up. But here's the problem. We'll pull up to the table. We'll sit down. We'll eat of what he's got. And of course, to pull up to his table of grace, the first thing that you take from him is salvation. And it's wonderful. It's so good. Oh, God, you've never tasted anything like it before. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? You taste it. You sing, and you couldn't get enough. You get full. You're satisfied. Finally, you're finally satisfied. But here's the problem. 
Many get up from this table of grace. They slide their chair. And we have been invited and commissioned to come and dine at this table of grace every day. But there are many who have dined here one time and then they never come back to this table ever again. They never come back as a believer to this table of grace that he has prepared for you to receive because they looked at it as like it's a one-time event when he's saying, hey, you need to keep coming back. I have prepared this for you each and every single day. You see, the table is spread, and there are way too many who have feasted once, but again, they won't come back, and they're trying to live off of one meal. Matthew 4, 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man, as a physical being, cannot go days on days on days without food. In fact, I was told here recently about a month or so ago that an individual can live about 14 days without physical food. 14 days can a man who is a physical being live without food and then after that, what happens? They die of malnutrition, of starvation. Man, as a saved even individual, you cannot live off of what he did for you yesterday. Do you not eat food every day in the physical? You don't depend today on what you eat yesterday because you grow hungry. But here's the problem. You and I as believers are pulling up to some kind of a table. You're either pulling up to the table of grace and you're sitting down and enjoying what he's got or else you're going over here to this other table and I promise you this table looks nothing like that table. This table is grungy. This table has all the semblance of what the table of grace looks like, but you're not pulling up to it, and this table is self. It's coming to what I can find. It's grungy. It's nasty. It's like eating physical food. If you eat nothing but junk food, it's not satisfying, and it makes the body feel bad. But when you sit down and you eat a good meal that is full of protein, that is full of nutrition, you feel satisfied. But when you eat that junk, it always leaves you wanting more, and it's poisoning you. It's causing problems for you. You may not see it right then and there, but if you continue to feast on that table, if you continue to pull up to the table that you have prepared instead of the table that he has prepared, eventually you will die. So the individuals that says that I have been saved but never pull back up to this table of grace that an invitation is out for you to come to, not just every day, but as much as you want to. My God, do you realize that you could pull up to this table in the morning? You could pull up to this table at lunchtime. You could pull up to this table at 4 o'clock. I could pull up to this table at midnight, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, every single day. I could pull up to this table. In fact, he says, pull up, take a seat, and you don't even have to get up. You won't wear your welcome out with the Lord. You may wear it out with man, but you won't wear it out with the Lord. He's saying, come sit down. Look at what I have prepared for you. I did this for you at no cost of your own. It is all my work. All I need you to do is come. All I need you to do is just come. Accept this knock. Accept this invitation then that knock is there each and every single day for the believer, for the child of God to pull up to this table and to feast on what I've got. He's done it for you. He's, he's done it for me. So why don't we show up every day? 
Why don't we show up to this table? Could it be that we think we've got better options? Could it not be that we think we got better options? Well, I don't necessarily want what he's got. This is a little bit more appealing. Let me tell you, it may be more appealing, but it will do damage. It will destroy you. The enemy comes to do nothing but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But right here is abundant life. Right here is abundant life. Life eternal and abundant life. And when you sit here, and the more you sit here, and the more you show up to this table, you get less and less and less desiring of this old table because you know what it's doing to you. But you say, Lord, I'm pulling up today. What do you have for me today? All he wants us to do as his children that he has prepared for us. In verse 18 through 20, we find the excuses started flowing in. One says when it was extended that I've got a piece of ground and I need to go see it. I bought a piece and I haven't even seen it yet. Does that even make sense? The excuses started flying in. It was the interest of self more so than the interest of God. Let me tell you, child of God, the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these other things shall be added unto you. But how many believers are truly seeking first the kingdom of God? We're seeking our own interests. We're setting out our own course. We're saying, I've got to do, I know, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that. I'm making these plans. I've got a 20-year plan, a 30-year plan, and I've got to attend to this. And all in the while, the church has forsaken the kingdom of God. Is it any wonder why the church is in the condition that it's in today? Because the church has failed to be the church. The second excuse, we find that this guy had bought five oxen and says, I need to go test them out. This is the example of self-will, giving very little thought to their own soul. How many believers think that because they've accepted Jesus Christ and they've received this glory of salvation and it is right, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, but they give very little thought to their soul after they said yes to Jesus. Can I tell you as the pastor of this church, can I tell you that are watching my camera, I think about my soul every single day. Do I fear? Absolutely not. Because there's now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But I know that if I don't feed off of what he's got for me, then I will eventually starve spiritually to death. And as that song said, I don't ever want to go back to my old life. Can I tell you that if you don't feast at this table... You will go back to your old life. You better not believe the lie of an enemy. You will go back to where he delivered you from because you are not feeding yourself off of what he's got for you and you're sitting over here feeding. And all in the while, this right here is the ploy and the trick of the enemy to get you a little bit, little bit, little bit, little at a time right back out the door of which you walked in. To stay in the house, you've got to sit at the table. But if you don't sit at that table, you're going to march right back on out that door and shut it behind you. And what's so sad about it, there are many that have walked out that door, but yet still claim the table of grace. All because of the deception, the deception of the enemy. You're good. You tasted one time. That don't matter. You've got to taste every single day 
The third, we find another one who consequently didn't even ask to be excused. This third excuse to come in wasn't even, he didn't even say, will you please excuse me? He didn't offer up any apology whatsoever. He says, I've got a wife. I just got married. I don't have time for this. Self-love. Because we love self and we love relationships with others more than we even value our relationship with the Lord. Let me tell you today, no other man has died for you. No other man has laid their life down for you. There was one man named 2,000 years ago named Jesus Christ that did it. And we will place relationships with other people in front of our relationship with the Lord. We will literally make idols. Come on now, the church is full of idols. That we are placing before God. He's laid down his son for you. He's gave his son. He's prepared this table. And we will literally resurrect idols and put other people in front of him. And we, don't, we think that God will understand. He'll understand. He's a God of mercy and grace. And we've heard this so much that we literally have heard this great truth, which it is right, that he is full of mercy. He is full of grace. But we take it and we pervert it, thinking that his grace and mercy will be extended so that I can keep living the way that I want to live. So that I don't have to pull up to that table. He understands God's long suffering, and he is all of these things. But God don't want to be pushed to the back burner, which is exactly where the church has pushed him. They have said, you'll understand, I don't have time for all of this. These are my excuses, and we've all got them. We've all been there at a point in time in our walk with the Lord, and many are there right now that says, I'll get to you, Jesus, when I have time, because you don't understand, I am so, so busy. Let me tell you something. If you don't have time for Jesus to pull up at his table, you are too busy. What could be more important than pulling up at the table of grace that he has prepared for you and I? See, these things that which I mentioned to you, they're not wrong within themselves. There's nothing wrong with marriages. There's nothing wrong with relationships. There's nothing wrong with, with, uh, with working jobs. There's nothing wrong with this stuff. But the problem is when we start putting these things in front of him. And that's where the church is at today. We've taken our lives and we put them in the forefront. We are our own God. We're trying to be up on our own throne. And we pushed him off to the side and say, you stay right here and I'm going to turn to you when I need you. Let me tell you, that's called using somebody. And God is not a God that can be used. He don't want to be used. As a believer, you are married to Christ. We are the bride of Christ, and he's there. He wants us to turn to him for all of our needs, but we turn to everything else except the one who made it even possible for you to call yourself a believer, for you to be able to attend this feast. So where is our priorities the excuses fly around all the time. I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And we think we pull up to the table of grace for an hour on Sunday. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just preaching the truth that's very little preached now. We pull up to this table on Sunday for an hour. We think we feasted and that we never come back on Monday. We never come back on Tuesday. We don't go back on Wednesday. We may not even show back up that next Sunday. But when I do, I'm going to hurry up and eat and try to stockpile up on food that will hopefully suffice me. And I promise you that today will only suffice for today. What you eat of the Lord today is only for today. It won't suffice for tomorrow. There are so many that are living in the past. God used to do. 
God really moved in the 40s, really moved in the 50s. At one time, that's wonderful, and praise be to God for that heritage. Praise be to God for that. But let me tell you, he's the God that still wants to do the same today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in fact, if we would just believe God and pull up and get on our face before him, he'll do even greater than what we read about, even in the book of Acts. But how can he when we don't pull up? How can he when we don't take time for him? We won't even give him, the average Christian won't even give him 30 minutes out of a 24-hour day. And it breaks my heart because of what he has done for us. How can I not give him my attention? How can I not give him my time when he's there? And when you give him his time, you'll never leave the same. He can be your healer today. He's our deliverer today. He's everything that we need him to be. But yeah, we won't pull up to the table to receive what it is that he's got for us. And we think we can pull up to every other table. And I promise you, you will never find what it is that you're looking for. Because only he can provide it. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. This means intense desire for him. This means to know him, as Paul said, that I may know him. What a desire in the Apostle Paul that God had given the meaning of the new covenant, but yet his desire was to know him more. Is that desire within your heart today? I've got to know you. I'm hungry for you, Lord. I'm hungry for a mighty move of God. You see, he promised that he would do it. He said if we'll have that intense desire and that thirst for him, we'll be filled. But the problem is we've got more a desire more for self than we've got a desire for him. That's the state of most believers. Believers, there's a desire there more for self than there is a desire for him. And it's very short of the ones that are lost. I've got more desire to feed, what? to feed me. I'm more concerned about me than I am him. He'll be there when I finally am ready to turn to him. We just heard a post today of a 33-year-old that died last night. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. We don't know when we're going to draw that last breath. We've got to be ready. Ready for when that time comes. So we as believers, we're more knowledgeable about sports. We're more knowledgeable about the latest movie. We're nor not, we can sit and quote lines from a movie, but we can't memorize one scripture in the word of Almighty God. Uh, believers that have accepted Jesus Christ, they know all about the sports team. They can name their names. We'll sit around and we'll talk about it. And it blows my mind. And there's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with these things. But when you can know more about the sporting team and their family, and we know more about Hollywood, we know about what's all going on in their life, and we never pick up the Word of God to see about the life of Jesus Christ who came to this world, who died for you. No, no, we push that to the side. I'm hungry for this. That's the condition of the church. We as parents are more worried about keeping our kids in every sport that there is 
We're more worried about them being popular in school. We're running ourselves to death. We got to go here. We got to go there. We got to do this. We got to do that. And all in the while, what are we training our children for? This upcoming generation. Is it any wonder that the generation that's alive now is the reason why they are? Because they've not been taught the way of the Lord. All they've been taught about God is you go to church, give Him an hour of your time, and then we say, don't feed on Him. We don't gather around as a family and pray. We don't teach them the word of God. But we'll run them to this. We'll run them to that. And all of that stuff one day is not going to matter. The only thing, hear me today, the only thing that will matter at the end of this life is where's your faith? How is your relationship with the Lord? These things in life that we got going on, families, jobs, activities, it's not that they're wrong within themselves and it's a thousand other things that you could talk about. But when we place them in front of him, that's when it becomes wrong. So should we not continually come to him and pull up at the table each and every single day? Is there not a daily need for Christ? We say it. Everybody in the church says, oh yeah, there's a need. But yet we don't act like it. We don't pull up to the table. We don't pull up and take a seat at down at what he has for us. You see, the priorities of the church are all too wrong. We're busy. I've got this, I've got that, I've got to run them here. And isn't it ironic that all of our excuses that we spouse out, I've got to work, I've got a job, I've got these kids to run to. He says, okay, I'm going to take your jobs away. I'm going to shut schools down. I'm getting rid of all of the sporting events. I'm going to take this away and take that away. And now all we've got is nothing but time on our hands. Could it just be that the Lord is shaking the church? Hey, I am more important than all of this other stuff. And you're offering excuses to me each and every single day. I am getting ready to come back. I'm getting ready to come back for you. It's time to get ready. I want to pour out my spirit. But the church is far in the condition of being ready for what it is that he wants to do. Because we're not feasting on the table. There's nothing more important than your relationship with him. And these things of which I talked about are temporal. Your job is temporal. It was said one time when a man died, rich, wealthy, had it all. And somebody asked the question at the grave, what did he leave? And another person said he left it all. He left it all. I made a comment, it may sound a little bit comical, but it's the truth. There's no U-Hauls that follow them hearses. None. These jobs will still be here when you're dead and gone. They'll still go on. All of that is temporal, but we have given more focus and attention to the temporal than we have the eternal. You're going home, you say, to be as believers. We said we're going home to be with Jesus. Praise be to God. We shout, we raise hands and all of that, and we don't feast during the week. But yet we'll feast on all of these things that ain't going to matter one day anyway. Many profess love for him and say it with words, but yet they fail to spend time with him. Love is reciprocating what love has prepared for you. That's true love. You're showing your love back to him by pulling up to this table. See, when my mom or my aunt or whoever, I've got a lot of good cooks in my family. And they, pull, they cook for me. They love to see me pull up. And nothing warms the heart of one that has cooked than to see that person sit and eat. Nothing warms their heart anymore than to sit down and see us eat of what he's got for us. 
Don't you know that it warms the heart of our Lord and Savior when he sees us pulling up at his table? Lord, there's nothing else that matters to me. Right now, I give this for you. I'm going to drink of you. I want you, Lord. I want more. I'm hungry for your righteousness. I'm hungry for you, Lord. I want more of you. Lord, this is where I'm going to stay. I finished this, Lord. Do you have more? Yes, my child, there's more where that come from. My God, there's more of where that come from. And he just keeps heaping and you can just eat as much and as much and as much as you want to. That warms the heart because that's faith. Faith in Christ and what he has done and what he has prepared for you and I. So what exactly is it this feast, you may ask? Well, there's a little bit of reconciliation. There's adoption. There's joy. You hungry for peace? It's here at the table. You're hungry for salvation, it's here at the table. You're hungry to be more like him, it's right here at the table. Well, I need healing, right here it is. I need deliverance, right here it is. I need victory, oh, it's right here. Everything we need at this table that's been adorned and prepared and as beautiful that it is. But are we pulling up? So the servant comes back, relays all this information back to his Lord. The Bible says the master gets angry. And would you not be angry too if you had prepared every bit of this and then you were rejected? Would it not hurt your feelings too if you prepared this table of grace and then the invitation that's extended out but yet it is rejected? And let me tell you, we think that God is not an angry God. He is full of love. Yes, amen. God is love. Mercy. Grace. But I think we forget sometimes that God can be angry. Psalm 7:11. God judgeth the righteous and God is angry. Not my words. With the wicked every day. Those that have not accepted him because he's prepared for them. He's did all of the work, all of the cost is upon him. But well, we don't pull up to the table. And when we say wicked, we're talking about those that are lost that's never pulled up prepared for them and yet he's sent back saying I just hope they'll show up time is ticking time is ticking I want them to show up he's angry because he's provided a sacrifice for our sin and has extended a divine invitation and we are to lay everything else aside and pull up to his table but even though he gets angry, he still shows grace, praise God. He still has love and he has mercy. And so what does he tell the servant, and I'm closing, what does he tell the servant then when he gets angry, but soon that anger turns and he said, well, fine then. If they won't accept, go get the halt, go get the blind, go get the maimed, go get those that are poor, go get them. That's you and me, the Gentiles, because Israel rejected. You ought to be happy about that today. The Israel rejected, and I hate what they did, but it's like I said the other week. We are that wild branch that he went, picked up, and connected into the vine. He went out for us that was poor, that was blind, spiritually could not walk. He said, then go get them, because I'm not going to see this go to waste. Praise be to God. I'm not going to see me sacrificing my son go to waste. So you go after them. And the servant comes back to him and he looks at him and he says, I've done it. My God. And yet there's still room. There's still room. He says, well, they go out to the highways, go out to the hedges, and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Because God forbid that he's prepared all of this. He wants his house filled. I've never sat at the table. You don't know what I've done? 
I've done this, I've done that. Even though I've accepted Jesus Christ, you don't know the failure that I've done. I've walked away from him. But let me tell you, when he said there's still room for one more, that table may look full. Mm-hmm. He says, son, sit down. Sit down. Oh, my, mm, I love my seat. Paul, he says, take this, and he says, get on over here. Sit down. And eat. And eat. Let me tell you, that's grace, my friend. That's grace. That is grace that is extended. That no matter what you have done, no matter what the sin is, no matter how far you may stray, even though you've not feasted in weeks on weeks, and you can't even walk, he says, I'll carry you, and I'll put you here, and you can get nourished back up today. But the choice is mine choice is yours he'll not make you sit down he'll not make you pull up so you've got a free will here so the choice is yours the table's prepared there's a food here there's a chair but you and I when the knock comes and the knock is there every day for us we got to open up walk in and say, Lord, here I am. I'm here today, Lord. I'm here today, Lord. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it, Lord. Lord, I'm poor. I'm miserable, Lord. God, I need your mercy. And he picks up my chin and says, eat my child. This is a table of grace. Not a table of condemnation, not a table of judgment, but a table of grace. Now eat, and then I'm able to pick up this fork, and I have to wipe the tears back, and then I start to eat, and he fills me up yet again. That's what he does. For the child of God. You and I don't deserve a place here. I don't deserve a place here. This the place is for the most wonderful. And yet I, I don't deserve it. But yet he says pull up a table. You're now my son. You're now my daughter. And what I have for my son Jesus is now for you. Because you have accepted him. And everything that is of his. You now have been made partakers of it. Eat and drink up. So my question is today, are you going to pull up to this table? Are you going to pull up to this table as the singer and musician comes back? Because the choice is made for you today. Hear me, don't get distracted. You may say, I've never pulled up to this table that you're talking about. I've never pulled up to what you're talking about and tasted of the Lord. Well, let me tell you today, and I'm talking to you too by the way of internet, you could pull up to this table right where you're at. You may think, well, I'm not in a church. I don't have nobody. He's there. The Holy Spirit is right there where you're at. And you've been watching these services and something's been drawing you here. Let me tell you, it's the Holy Spirit. You found yourself lost. You see yourself undone. And you don't understand why you've been watching. But the Holy Spirit is drawing your heart for such a time as this. The table's been prepared for you. The table's been prepared for us. Well, I pulled up to the table, Wayne. But I got up because I got busy with life. I had to do this, I had to do that. And he's saying, uh-uh, today 
is the last of the excuses I want to hear. Excuses are over. There's nothing more important than pulling up. Well, I've ate, but it's been a while. You can pull up. Well, Wayne, I've ate even yesterday. He wants you to pull up today. He wants you and I to pull up today. He wants us to pull up today. You to pull up today. Some of you have not pulled up in such a long time. But you're so malnourished. You're barely hanging on. But today, he can fill you back up. Today, he can fill you back up. But you've got to make that decision. So as we stand to our feet all across here, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ and things are not right, I am begging you, don't let this opportunity go. There's a seat here for you at the table. He's saying, pull up. Come. I've done it all. You won't regret it. You won't regret it. Today's been divinely ordered for you. For you. And if your heart's desire as a believer is I want more, you got to make a decision to pull up. So the altar calls simple. Do you want him? And I'm not talking to just those that are here in the sanctuary. I'm talking to us on this platform. I'm talking to those that are watching. Are you hungry for more? Then I want you to show the Lord by responding to the drawing of His Holy Spirit that is in this house upon every one of us. And come and let Him pour into you today as they sing. Respond to the Holy Spirit that's drawing your heart.
that's your desire, I want you to come. Out of the sound media, come on. He's looking for a people that will cry out to him. We need to come and pour out to him. It doesn't matter about anything. Come and receive what he has from you today. Don't walk out that door. Don't walk out that door the same way you came in. The table's prepared for you. The table's prepared. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Everlasting. I can't close this service out. God desires to move in your heart today. In all of our hearts today. He wants us to pull up. You that are watching my internet, He wants you to pull up. Take a seat and eat what He has. Hallelujah, Jesus. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Taste the living Yes. Right now, I feel prompted into my spirit. There are some of you that are watching by the way of internet. He has set the table for you. Some of you have never tasted. Some of you have only heard about this table of grace. You've seen it, but you've never truly tasted of it yourself. And there are some of you that hasn't pulled up to the table in a long time. 
is prepared for you. So I'm going to pray the greatest prayer that you could ever pray, and that's the sinner's prayer. And understand, it's not the words that you say, but it's the faith that you evidence in them. And I'm going to pray this, and I want you to pray this from your heart. And I'm not going to be the only one praying as they are going to join voices with me all around this house. And I want you to say it because God, the Holy Spirit, is dealing with you. He's dealing with us. The time of playing games are over. It's time we decide in whom we're going to serve. He's saying, serve me. Bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins, for the things that I've done, for the way that I live. God, I need forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus Christ shed his blood on Calvary's cross 2,000 years ago for me. And I believe that on the third day that God raised Jesus from the dead and is seated upon the right hand of the Father. And I believe that right now I am forgiven Hallelujah. I am washed. I am born again. I am now a child of God. I am saved. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for what you prepared for us. And God, I pray, Lord, Lord, let us pull up to your table every day. Lord, let us pull up to what you have prepared for us every day, God. Let us feast on you every day from here on out, God. And Lord, I pray that as this word has went forth, God, there may have been some that have rejected, but God, we pray that these words would repeat over and over and over again in their heart until, God, they finally, Lord, pull up to the table. And God, we believe that it's done by faith. Lord, I thank you for what you've done this day in all of our hearts. I thank you for the souls that have been saved, for those that have listened and those that will listen. God, I thank you for it. And we ask that you continue to move, Lord. Draw all of our hearts closer to you. And we'll forever give you praise for it all. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. We 